Hello. Hello. Sorry, it's a bit of a overly exaggerated festive Christmas intro. Merry um, Christmas. That, either that or a bit of Rage Against the Machine. Have you been on Sherry again? Um, no, no, not since um, 1999. You well, that was a good reason to be on the Sherry, and frankly, after 1999, my hangover is probably still lasting till today. <laughs> um, just a quick side note before we get into the matter at hand. Did you buy the Rage Against the Machine single, Ed? I didn't. I, I, I raged against the Sony machine. That was Rage Against the Machine. Ah, oh, the irony, eh? I know. But anyway, we haven't come here to talk about the rampant commercialisation of Christmas or the uh, heated battle in the UK pop charts between um, some dude that won a singing contest and an angry rock band from the 90s. We're here to talk about Manchester United. What have we got coming up on the show today, Ed? Well, the rampant commercialisation of football, I think. Uh, but <laughs> on to Mark Hughes and uh, the Abu Dhabi royal family later. Um, so I, I think we need to look back at um, one of the worst performances ever by a Manchester United team. That's uh, the 3-0 loss away to Fulham. Uh, preview the Hull and Wigan games coming up over the Christmas period um, and uh, we're coming to the end of the decade so I thought we'd talk about uh, our, our ideas of the team of the decade um, who's in it for you and well we'll discuss our ideas live on Christmas cast <laughs> I, I don't care what date it is for the rest of 2010 we're calling this the Christmas cast that's um, right <laughs> so Ed uh, the very first time I ever went to a Manchester United match you were uh, took me along to stand in the Stretford end and watch Sir Alex's team get beaten 4-1 by Queen's Park Rangers. A gentleman called Dennis Bailey scored a hat-trick. That, by many people, has been regarded as the worst Manchester United performance in the last 20 years or so. Did last Saturday at Fulham top that? Well, you know, the, the one of the good things about that performance, and uh, as you say, we, we stood on the Stretford end that day, was uh, a young Mr Ryan Giggs, and he's one of the reasons I... Uh, I didn't leave the stadium along with the hordes that did. And we didn't even get to see Ryan Giggs at Fulham. So, uh, yeah, it, it's just, it was just dreadful. Um, and, I mean, part of that can be put down to the team, of course, uh, the bizarre tactics. Um, but they, I was just, it was shocking. It was just shocking how much they gave up. All the heads dropped um, after the second goal. And, and you just thought, ah, it's over. Bye. Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was very clear that they it wasn't you know you got absolutely no sense that this might be one of those days we go two 0 down and get back into it. It was something about the timing of the goal, something about the fact that the team just knew it wasn't playing well, and there, and there wasn't that sense of belief. No, and I suppose that's what you get with playing Fletcher, Carrick, and Delate at the back. Um, I felt sorry for Richie Delate. I mean, he's uh, he's done well on uh, his few appearances to date. Um, but playing with a couple of midfielders in a back three with uh, Patrice Evra and Antonio Valencia as your wing backs, it was just it was just really odd. And you know, I, I know uh, Sir Alex has got a, a huge bank of credit, and um, we'll let him off this one. But it was just a really odd choice of tactics. I thought I know it worked in Wolfsburg, but um, United could have been two 0 down in 15 minutes there, and against a, a, a vibrant Fulham side who'd qualified uh, out of the UEFA Cup um, you know, a few days beforehand in great confidence, playing really well under Roy Hodgson. You just knew they were going to take advantage. I, I just thought it was really strange. Yeah, in times of trouble, uh, go back to basics. Two banks are four. Defend well first. Even get anything out of the game, great. Um, and uh, it was just suicidal. I thought. Yeah, I mean. It was kind of depressing. It's, it's. I guess it's, it's one of those things where it's like, well, that, that's what it's like to support normal football team. Yeah. If you support other teams, then you get used to seeing that from time to time. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's worrying, though. I mean, that's that's United's sixth defeat of the season, and uh, we're at the midway point of um, the Premier League season, at least. Of course, you know, Champions League 
really kicks off in the, in February. Um, we have the FA Cup to come. But yeah, five defeats in the league. Uh, obviously, that defeat to Besiktas in uh, Europe. It's United's worst, and I know I talked about this on the blog this week, worst performance uh, in terms of the number of defeats since 2001, and the club finished third that season. They they did finish third that season. They finished third uh, 10 points off the lead. So, it, you know, and that, that's the sort of season it's looking like shaping up, except for the fact that the other people who could potentially be considered genuine title contenders, i.e. Chelsea, also keep dropping points not not as many as us but we could be right out of it by now oh uh, yeah I, uh, you're right um, Chelsea have dropped a, a large number of points too it's like this season of mediocrity this year uh, actually Chelsea have got no strikers left so you know, we have no defenders and uh, they've got obviously uh, Drogba and Kalu off to the African Cup of Nations December 27th so they're going to miss the entire festive programme and Nelka is now injured they've got DeSanto at Blackburn on loan so they're left with Daniel Sturridge who they poached off Manchester City in the summer and uh, a couple of other youth team guys so so, uh, you know, maybe, maybe all is not lost. Uh, we may be playing rubbish, but uh, at least everyone else is too. Um, but uh, some some toughish looking games um, over the Christmas period. I mean, we have uh, a way fixture at Hull on the 27th, no Boxing Day fixture this year. And that won't be easy by any means. I mean, I know it's Hull and they're staring relegation in the face and all that, but it's an away fixture. They'll be keen to win it. And then the home tie against Wigan and... We're going to blow hot and cold at the moment. Mainly very cold. You know, you never know. It still could be a tough game. <laughs> I mean, yeah, although it is a sign of, you know, the current state of play when you're introducing this back-to-back games against Hull and Wigan as a couple of toughish games coming up. It's like, yeah, they're toughish games because there's going to be 11 players on the other team who are trying to get the ball in our net, which seems to be, you know, something we don't cope with too well at the moment. We don't need to panic. It's, it's not desperate. We're, we're actually only a point worse off than this time last year. Um, having said that, uh, we'd played each of the eight teams directly below us. So, you know, second to ninth. Um, uh, in that first half of the season, there's some, some really tough games away fixtures. And, uh, you know, the second half of the season definitely stacked up much better for us last season. This year round, it's it's pretty balanced fixture list, I think. So I, I, I don't think they're comparable. One, one thing I would say, we've scored a load more goals than I was expecting. I mean, I, I think I predicted before the season started that United would score something like 10% less goals. And it's just not happened. Um, we've, we've actually uh, spread the goals around. And, um, and I guess Antonio Valencia has exceeded the expectations, scored six to date, which is uh, way better than anyone thought yeah I mean we had a little conversation and decided not to go into any particular depth and to, to in a, around a discussion on your mid-season report post on uh, on unitedrand.co.uk check it out everybody but Valencia's definitely been a massive bright spot in, in an otherwise quite gloomy season so far haven't they yeah he has and, and that and Darren Fletcher and um, yeah, I, Darren, I mean, and Ryan Giggs and Dimitar Berbatov and Obertan yeah Obertan uh, for his you know few potential. minutes yeah, yeah and his potential Berbatov for some you know beautiful performances no goals 4-20 and 20, real disappointment that is um, I mean he did score we forget he scored quite a lot of goals at Tottenham and he has a better than one in two record at international level you know that it's still a real shame um and we just need Darren Fletcher back in the you know the middle of the park uh, the sooner Viditch is fit and he should be fit for Hull um sooner Brown's back and he might be back in early January maybe for the weekend game the when's better that? for sure when's Rio due back uh unspecified uh next year right at on. some point yeah and any word on Owen Hargreaves um Hargreaves um has been training with the first team for a long time now apparently it's a confidence problem so uh, they're they're looking at January at some point but then again they told us November so right. and that was you know prior to being told sort of April so who knows <laughs> A fully functioning Owen Hargreaves could make a big difference to our 
setup as it stands at the moment. I hey, a fully functioning back four plus Owen Hargreaves would stop the goals leaking, that's for sure. But, yeah. um, you know, that that's all ifs and buts. Um, one thing that is not an if and a but, um, Albert Scanlon, um, it was announced that he died yesterday. Um, uh, uh, Albert Scanlon uh, was part of the Busby Babes. Um, he was in the crash in uh, 1958 in Munich, uh, survived with a broken leg and some uh, uh, other injuries, including a fractured skull, it says on Wikipedia that I'm looking at right now. But uh, he played over 115 times for United, scored a ton of goals. Um, so, yeah, one of the Busby Bade uh, died yesterday. Yeah, so rest in peace. I thought we'd talk about, given that we're, we're coming to the end of the noughties. Yeah, you're not allowed to call them that, just, just so you know. I, I, think... I, I just did. Uh, I really wish you had. In fact, we might have to end this podcast now. Well, oh so no, alright, let's carry on What's the next decade going to be called then? If this is not the noughties and it was the somethings um, What it's going to be called is it's going to start off being everyone's going to look at each other weird and then after we get three years hence we're going to, everyone's going to start calling it the teens that's that's how it works predicting it if we get past 2012 of course and mind calendar all that so in the last decade Manchester United have won the Premiership five times the FA Cup Amiga won the Charity Shield three times the Champions League one glorious time and the Club World Cup once not a bad haul in five years really ten oh years. and the, a, two Carling Cup yeah ten years um, not, not, not a bad haul at all it, somehow it seems like it was more but uh, I suppose we did have that um, slightly barren spell between 2002 and 2005. Um, so, yeah, team of the decade. Um, I mean, we uh, we haven't gone through this meticulously. Um, why don't let's, we do let's, let's go position by position and pick a first teamer and a backup reserve in in all the positions. Uh, I think that that should that should do a decent job of covering it. Um, all right, in I, goal. I, I am I am Bagsy going first. to go for Bagsy first. Bagsy first pick in goal. It's your really Bagsy. Yeah, all right, wicked. Edwin van der Sar, there you go. Right, now pick a, pick our second best goalkeeper of the decade. Well, I'm going to go for Tim Howard, and this may yeah. be controversial because, no, uh, no, of course, yours. Fabian Barthez was um, our, our keeper for a long time. I think Tim Howard had a, one really outstanding season and then uh, suffered a, something of a crisis of confidence, um, slightly uh, induced by Ferguson, dropping him constantly. But, uh, yeah, I, I think Tim Howard um, perhaps only had a you know a couple of years with United, but... Uh, I think he's a good backup to Van der Sar. That would be uh, my choice as well, especially given how well he's gone on to develop for Everton. He's a fantastic, you know, he's a real asset to them, isn't he? So. Yeah, he's he's a real good keeper. Uh, right back, you get I, to pick first. Well, uh, it's obvious, Gary Neville, um, for sure. Um, uh, yeah, Agent Red number one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah he, he does hate Scousers and he's first name on the team sheet for me. And I'm going to go with a slightly strange position, given that we dedicated at least six minutes of this radio show once to discussing how we didn't think he was very good. But how can you pick a backup player for Manchester United in the past decade and not make it John O'Shea? He he is the number one reserve. Absolutely, the number one <laughs> reserve right back that Manchester United probably have ever had. Although uh, a, a strong argument could be made for Wesley Brown, of course. Although absolutely. He could be one of our backup centre backs yeah and the thing is with Wes Brown I, I you know if I was choosing between John O'Shea or Wes Brown both fully fit to play at right back obviously I would pick Wes Brown but I think the nature of the fact that it's a backup position would go with, with John O'Shea out of respect for Johnny the Red alrighty um, so left back um, well that's I, a nice easy one it, it, it ought to be yeah the the uh, the position where I think it's most difficult to debate that we've uh, had the best player in the world in the last 10 years uh, Patrice Evra I, I, I couldn't agree with you more one so. of the 
one of the best left backs of all time. Uh, he's he's just outstanding. Of course, uh, named in the the FIFA Pro um, World Eleven this season, as he should be. Uh, superb. Uh, yeah, officially the world's best left back. Uh, United fans have known this for a long time. Uh, Chelsea fans can stop talking about Ashley Cole. Um, aside from uh, you know him being a thoroughly unpleasant man, he's just not that good either. So yeah, Patrice Evra for me, and and uh, the reserve. Um, this is a tough one. I mean, there's a good case to be made for Gabriel Heinzer, who of course yep. had yeah three really good seasons with United, um, yeah, yeah. and very very popular at the club. Uh, just a shame he desperately wanted to move to Liverpool. That's weird, isn't it? It's a st- strange thing to want to do. But yeah, I mean, l- let's put that aside. I think he's he is the only logical choice. So mm. now let's let's with centre halves. We're picking two first-team centre-halves and two backups. I've I've got to go with Rio and Nemanja when they're at their the peak of their powers for uh, number one the the number one spot in both those positions. Hmm, interesting. Well, I mean, I, I think um, of course Yapstam would um, have something to say about one of those positions. Uh, hey, yeah. And fair enough, if he had something to say to me, I'd let him say it. You certainly would, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I think there's some uh, prison uh, prison camps that'd like a uh, Yapstam on their team. <laughs> so um, I don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's mm, very good shout, Yapstam. R- R- well, who do you drop? Do you drop Nemanja? Keep Rio at the peak of his power. Rio and Yapstam be a heck of a combination. It, it certainly would be a heck of a combination. It's, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. I, I think Stam, for what he achieved with United, uh, would get my vote. But I think it's a real close one with uh, with Nemanja. All right, Rich. and then obviously whichever one of them isn't in the team gets the first backup spot and who do you give the second one to? Well for me it's Wes Brown uh, and, and I know we talked about him, but I think his best performances for United have been in the centre of defence um, I think he's a natural central defender I think he's uh, he uh, you know at one stage I, I genuinely believed Ferdinand wasn't fit to lace his boots and I think if uh, if stayed fit over the last 10 years he would have been England's uh, first choice in the centre of central defence but uh, he didn't but he, he still gets my backup right. Excellent um, which moves us on to the position of right midfield got a little bit of press attention one way or the other in the last 10 years well i mean okay so uh my first choice would be uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, no, really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, 40-something goals. Of course, uh, he morphed from being a, a pure right-winger into, into something slightly different. But yeah. I think, yeah, on the right side of midfield, uh, Ronaldo's the man. 40-odd goals in uh, the 2008 season. Uh, it's just an awesome performance. And, of course, edges out one of the world's finest right-wingers, uh, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the, the obvious second place choice in that is Mr. David Beckham and I think I, if I was actually putting a United team of the decade out I'd somehow manage to structure the tactics so they were both in the team yeah although I mean it's funny with Beckham isn't it because when he first came into the side everyone said ah oh, he's great on the right wing but he's really a natural central midfielder yeah 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 but no he isn't and he's almost never played there. And the one yeah. really big high-profile game he did play there, of course, the 1999 European Cup final, you know, in the past decade, fair enough. Uh, but yeah, he had a pretty dreadful game that day. Um, I mean, he's played there He played there for Real Madrid quite a bit, didn't he? And he, he played for England a couple of times in the quarterback role. Oh, that's right, sitting in front of the back four and spraying those passes around. Which he does... You know, as well as anyone else. Hey, if you're doing if, that when he's 45, uh, if, you know. If you want someone to spray a pass, I can think of a lot worse people to choose. Um, so yeah, that's uh, Ronaldo in number one spot, and David hey, Beckham in number two. Nicky Buck can spray a pass. It may be into Rose Z, but yeah. <laughs> hey, listen, Nicky Buck was Pele's player of the tournament in the 2002 World Cup, and it was well deserved. And let's not forget that. Um, <laughs> and talking of central midfielders, so so central midfield. I mean. Uh, this is uh, you know two positions here. It's 
got to be hard to look beyond uh, two legends, absolute legends of uh, United, two of the Eric, best. Eric, Eric Jemba Jemba and Cleberson, right? That's who you're going for. Just They've just been edged out by Roy Keane and Paul Scholes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, but we don't. There's what more needs to be said about those two fine individuals, except for the fact that one of them's a fine individual and I'm not entirely sure about the other one. That's that's no way to talk about Paul Scholes. But um <laughs> I, I think we ought to move on to the left wing. Box. No, no, we've got a pick we've got to pick backups for ah, the central yes. midfield, which has been essentially Manchester United's problem in the last ten years. But I, I think um, for me it's pretty un- inarguable that the um, unbelievable as it is, I can't believe I'm saying this. I certainly wouldn't have believed that I would be saying this. I'm pretty sure I'd have Darren Fletcher as my number one backup for those two. Really? You see, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know he's achieved it over a long enough period. Um, but yeah, it's a good shout. I, I, I would also have Michael Carrick in there. And I, I think simply because he's led United to three league titles in a row. Uh, and he, he made the difference, actually. Yeah. He, he was he was a huge part in the turnaround. He really was. Yeah. We're, we're picking a lot of players here from the, the latter part of the decade. But um, that's when we won everything. That, that's the... Yes, that's because between 2002 and 2005, Eric Jemba Jemba and Leverson <laughs> ran United's <laughs> midfield. Uh, right, now, hold on. I'm really going to wrap my brains about this one because this is left wing. Who's been Man United's best left winger in the last decade? Nani. No. Ralph Milne. No, no. He didn't, he didn't some... play in the 90s or the <laughs> 2000s. <laughs> some uh, Welsh bloke, I think. Yeah, obviously... It's who's your who is your number two choice since we devoted a good chunk of uh, last week's show to our number one choice in this spot? Yeah, Cristiano Ronaldo when he played on the left wing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or Patrice Evra paying out of position. There really hasn't been anyone, has there? On the, the there left has, side, there um, hasn't needed to be, has there? There hasn't needed to be, other than of course, um, you know, God Himself, uh, PFA. Players Player of the Year, BBC Sports Personality of the Year, BBC Wales Sports Personality of the Year. Yeah, every, let, every year since 1987. Let's not forget that. Um, uh, United's just, Player of the Year, 832 uh, appearances for the club, Ryan Giggs. A hell of a shout for um, best player of the decade out of this team as well. Yeah, I, I think so. I, we, we might have to come back. I, listeners to Rankcast, write in. Tell us who should be second choice behind Ryan Giggs. We'll, we'll write back saying, isn't it a good job I didn't have to be? Yeah. Um, so we, we move on to strikers right again, picking two strikers and two backup strikers. Okay, well, well, for me, um, it's Wayne Rooney. Uh, he has to be in the team. Uh, he's, oh, yeah. he's been simply magnificent. Um, and Ruud van Nistelrooy, over 150 mm. goals for United um, before, before Ferguson um, kind of fell out of favour with him. Yeah, absolutely. It's you know, the the kind of best natural goal-scoring striker we've had for a long time. Although, you know, the team, the, the team shape was perhaps negatively affected by the way that Ferguson incorporated him into the team. And they all forever be associated with a period of really dull football where he was playing up front with his back to goal on his own, miles away from the midfield. But Ruud van Nistelrooy in his pomp was an absolutely magnificent centre forward and he certainly easily. was I, and I, I think he would be my uh, number one out of those two picks um, I'd go Rude first then Rooney uh, even though Rooney's obviously like Wayne Rooney and amazing I just think Van Nistel is so incredibly effective um, so backups backup centre forward again this is a position where we've kind of got the when did Solskjaer retire uh, yeah well I mean he of course injured his uh, right knee um, doing the slide in celebration uh, and that was the, the you know the start of the downward spiral but he didn't officially retire until a, a couple of years ago 
So I, I think it's fair enough to have him in the team of the decade. Yeah, all right, well... Then At least in the case. squad. Yeah, he's, he's, he's for all the reasons that John O'Shea is. I, I can't think of a better uh, backup striker than... Uh, than Oli Gunnar, and then uh, who's your you, your other substitute? Well, oh. it's a tough one. I, this is a tough one, but I, I, although he didn't have the best of times in the uh, in the noughties, um for United, uh, I, I do think he was a, an outstanding striker. Uh, so for me, uh, Dwight York gets a, a place in the squad. Ah, interesting choice. Interesting choice. I think I might go with Henrik Larsson, even though he was only there for three months. You're just being sentimental now. <laughs> I know, but it's Henrik Larsson's phenomenally good player and and kind of he's certainly in the top four best strikers that have played at Manchester United in the last 10 years even if there wasn't much of that which was uh, him there and uh, he's done enough to qualify yet but let's hope he ends up in our team of the teens in 10 years time for his uh, fantastic performances in the first half of the decade Mr Dimitar Beb who's been our best manager in the last 10 years Ed? Uh, I'm going with Mike <laughs> Phelan uh, yeah I'm sure he took one game there at least <laughs> actually um, it's probably like best assistant manager of the decade is probably quite a decent question isn't it well I mean I guess it's got to go to Carlos Quiroz just just because um, of the help he uh, you know, gave Ferguson in uh, taking us to another European Cup win although you know not always popular with the, the United faithful probably more popular in his return to the club than uh, than prior his uh, stint at Real Madrid well there's this whole thing where he became the first of the kind of assistant managers taking the blame because the fans couldn't bear to give the blame to the manager you know that's happened a few times over recent years but um in that his first run as assistant manager was, was the kind of lean times and that kind of tactical doggedness and and defensiveness a lot of that was put on his shoulders um although you could argue that that then did turn into the system which won the european cup then got to the final the next year so interesting but yes i might give it to mike phelan just because uh, I, I like i don't know i, I just like mike phelan What's really? not to like? What's not to like about Mike Phelan? Well, you see, as a player, he got rid of the ball quicker than a hot potato. I think the the quote was in uh, Red Issue. Um, but I think he kind of does the same thing as a, an assistant manager. He he's uh, he's one one paper this week put it, and this was pretty cruel. He he's uh, Phil Neal to Graham Taylor during. Uh, you know, England's failed bid to qualify Ooh. for the 1994 World Cup. Uh, yes, boss. Yes, boss. Yeah. Can you not knock it? Yes, boss. <laughs> <laughs> do I not like that comparison? Yeah, hey, Ed, um, talking, talking of do I not like that and disastrous management scenarios, can we talk about our friends across the way? You know, there, there was a time there that um, Manchester City fans thought it was safe to put their head above the parapet and they thought, hey, we are going to take on United, we're going to take on Europe, we're going to take on the world, we're the richest club on the planet, we're going to buy whoever we like, and then the comedy came back into town. Uh, yeah, so um, tell us a little bit about the uh, press conference announcing Mark Hughes' retirement. Yeah, I, I, I laughed so hard, I think I almost wet myself. Um, so this was Monday's press conference, um, uh, talking about, this wasn't announcing uh, Hughes' firing, he'd, he'd been fired on there. Uh, well, officially, he got worded a Saturday morning prior to the City taking on Sunderland at the City of Manchester Stadium at the weekend. And uh, the press conference was to uh, clarify some things, uh, according to Gary Cook, uh, Chief Executive Officer of uh, Manchester City. So t- took that press conference, uh, um, unveiled um, Mancini to the world, new, new Manchester City manager. I, I just thought it was hilarious. Uh, so he he, um, uh, uh, he refused to answer any questions at first, said, yeah, no questions will be uh, answered by me. I'm going to read a statement. Um, there's an extremely long press briefing by the uh, the uh, the press officer at Manchester City who uh, clearly irritated the uh, the gathered press crowd. 
crowd uh, Cook read out this statement in which to Precy he said that there was no conspiracy against Mark Hughes um, that they'd only decided to dismiss him after the Spurs game um, that they'd met uh, Mancini um, discussed the contract on Thursday last week offered him a job on Friday and then officially told Hughes face to face apparently or it was supposed to be um, from uh, Cardoon the uh, Manchester City chairman from the Abu Dhabi royal family, um, and uh, and then uh, unfortunately for him was uh, contradicted quite blatantly by uh, Mancini himself, who said that um, he'd actually spoken to the Abu Dhabi royal family about the job two weeks ago. Um, all the time, City was saying, "Oh no, no, we're sticking with our manager." So yeah, it, it was hilarious, uh, caught in an absolute line, and uh, of course their, their position is uh, well, it's, uh, it's their right to. Uh, look at options which is fair enough I, I just think you you can't set yourself up as having a higher standard which is exactly what they have done um and then uh then uh fall down on that so uh yeah pr- pretty funny um Mancini of course will be out of the job in the summer because he has to qualify for fourth and and uh, they're probably not going to do that the line that I heard as well today is that their targets which they've claimed he wasn't living up to was that they should finish sixth or better in the premiership this season so lying as they do sixth in the premiership with the game in hand over the club above them and only having lost two games this season less than their uh, cross-town rivals it should be said they've sacked kind of fairly well regarded good organizer you know i mean there is there is some doubt in my mind whether he's a good fit for that job i think mark hughes is going to be a fantastic football manager for a long time i think but that doesn't seem to me to be his natural place in the management kind of the pantheon of different types of jobs in football management to kind of bring some Galacticos together and get a bunch of, you know, rampant egos working to the same goal. But there's a, such a small handful of people that can actually do that, you know, in the world, which is why kind of really great managers are, you know, you really can't name that many really great managers. Right. Um, well, so so first on the targets bit, yeah, um, it was agreed that uh, sixth place would, would be the target. This is in their end of season uh, wrap up. Um, the goalposts moved by the end of the summer and they'd spent uh, however many hundreds of millions of pounds they did spend. Uh, it depends on whether uh, you believe the club when they say 25 million for Carlos Tevez or to- Carlos Tevez's advisors who say 47 million. But anyway, so yeah, they, they revised that to 70 points, which in almost every year for the last 15 years or you know in the Premiership era would have got fourth or I think in one year fifth. Um, so 70 points might be a fourth place spot having said that you know we we don't know exactly how it'll pan out this year they're on 29 points they've got a game in hand that's 64 having to gel a new side together you'd think they'd be better in the second half of the season than the first you're right to say they haven't lost um, at home they've lost a couple away um, that's an extremely good record it's better than the top four Uh, and yeah they've just had a ton of draws so yeah but you know incredibly harsh on uh, the manager um but you know, it just gives you an idea of what this club's about now. It's short termism. They are they are the the Real Madrid of the Premiership. It, it's about buying big. Um, it's not about a long term. Yeah, and I, I hope Mark Hughes comes out of it with a good job where he'll be given a lot of time to build something because, you know, albeit he has gone to manage Man City and come out as a Chelsea fan, he was still one of the all time greats at Manchester United. I'm not sure he ever did the job with a great deal of dignity. And I, I think that's where you're coming at when you say they're perhaps not the right job for him. He, he's too spiky a character, I think, to massage the egos of, of players, many of which not as good as he was. Yeah, and there's there's that thing that gets talked about where really great players have difficulty instilling the things that they were naturally great at into their teams. It, it's interesting because he did in the summer buy 
all the most obnoxious people in world football. Yeah, he really should have added um, uh, Lee Bowyer and Ashley yeah. Cole to the list. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting decision that it hasn't worked so well. And given that you kind of um, you end up watching City and when they're not playing well, I think they're really missing Craig Bellamy. It's a, it's a weird world where you can think a thought like that. Well, they might be missing him for a long time to come. Um, of course, there are rumours that he was going to put in transfer requests, now denied. Um, and now he's apparently had a bust-up with uh, Mancini on the first day of official training with the new manager. Uh, this has got to be some kind of record. But yeah, um, Mancini uh, demanded a double training session. Uh, Bellamy thought he was going to have a light training session because he's got an injury. Um, and uh, yeah, now they've fallen out. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah. That, that, that is... Oh, yeah. Well, here's a man it. who could start a fight in an empty room. So uh, starting a fight with a new manager who he's already not enamoured with, uh, you know, probably wasn't that difficult. All right. Well, Ed, a very Merry Christmas to you and yours. And um, we'll be back in 2010 with a lot of rank casts. Um, do email us, cast at unitedrant.co.uk. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you'd like to see in the rank cast or even what you'd like to hear. And uh, if, if Christmas isn't doing it for you, think about this. Leeds United, Sunday the 3rd of January, FA Cup third round, followed by Manchester City, Carling Cup semi-final, Wednesday the 6th of January. Now, that should get your juices flowing for 2010. I do hope we've got a back four for at least one of those games. I can't. I just can't bear the thought that Leeds might turn us over. And uh, <laughs> on that it's not, note... Uh, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Everyone close your eyes and wish it really hard. We'll have a Christmas miracle. And Amanda Vidic will get fit again. Let's hope so. Happy Christmas. Merry New Year. <laughs> Do 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 do